Today's reading is Mark chapter 3. Once again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man with a withered hand was there. In order to accuse Jesus, they were watching to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Then Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, Stand up among us. And he asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? But they were silent. Jesus looked around at them with anger and sorrow at their hardness of heart. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was restored. At this the Pharisees went out and began plotting with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, accompanied by a large crowd from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, the region beyond the Jordan, and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon. The large crowd came to him when they heard what great things he was doing. Jesus asked his disciples to have a boat ready for him, so that the crowd would not crush him. For he had healed so many, that all who had diseases were pressing forward to touch him. And when the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! But he warned them sternly not to make him known. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and called for those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve of them, whom he designated as apostles to accompany him, to be sent out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, whom he named Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, whom he named Bonerges, meaning sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. Then Jesus went home, and once again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples could not even eat. When his family heard about this, they went out to take custody of him, saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who had come down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of the demons he drives out demons. So Jesus called them together and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, it cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, it cannot stand. And if Satan is divided and rises against himself, he cannot stand. His end has come. Indeed, no one can enter a strong man's house to steal his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. Truly I tell you, the sons of men will be forgiven all sins and blasphemies, as many as they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. Jesus made this statement because they were saying, He has an unclean spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came and stood outside. They sent someone in to summon him, and a crowd was sitting around him. Look, he was told, your mother and brothers are outside asking for you. But Jesus replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking at those seated in a circle around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. This is God's word. In Mark 2, which we read last time, Jesus told the Pharisees that he did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus' statement could be read to imply that he believed the Pharisees were righteous. Although nobody seems to have reached that conclusion, here at the beginning of Mark chapter 3, Jesus made it clear that he did not find the Pharisees to be righteous men. The setting was Saturday, a.k.a. the Sabbath, at the synagogue, according to verse 1. A man with a withered hand was there, and the Pharisees were watching, according to verse 2. 
makes you wonder if they saved a seat for that man to sit near Jesus, sort of to set him up, doesn't it? Anyway, verse 2 told us that they were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. That statement reveals that they had already rejected Jesus and his message, and were now seeking to discredit him publicly. Healing on the Sabbath would give them the weapon they needed against Christ. In the days of Moses, God commanded his people to stone a man for gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. You can read about that in Numbers chapter 15, verses 32 through 41. That's a pretty strict definition of work. Gathering sticks, that's pretty strict. It suggests that work means more than just how you make your living. It meant any kind of productive physical activity. To prevent anyone from exerting themselves then, the rabbis defined how much physical activity a person could do on the Sabbath. They even went so far as to restrict how many steps you could walk on the Sabbath day. If someone were injured on the Sabbath day and needed to stop the bleeding, or to put their shoulder back into its socket, it would be done without any thought that the Sabbath law had been violated. But this man had been without the use of his hand for a long time, so his situation hardly qualified as an emergency. Regardless, Jesus felt that relieving his suffering would be a positive way to celebrate the Sabbath, not a violation of the commandment. We see that in verse 4. So Christ healed the man. Though it is noteworthy that the man did all the work by stretching forth his hand. Jesus never touched him, never reached for him, didn't wave his hand at him or anything. Jesus used his divine miraculous power to restore him. And he did not use any kind of physical human activity to do it. But the Pharisees were incensed by Jesus' healing, so much so that they began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus, according to verse 6. Their response showed that they were not truly zealous for God and his holiness. Their quote-unquote obedience to God's law was about making themselves look righteous for their scrupulous observance. It was also about controlling others, getting everyone in the community to conform to their application of Scripture. Imagine how much better this man's life instantly was, the moment Jesus healed him. If there was any pain in his shriveled hand, that pain was instantly relieved. If he wasn't in pain, he certainly had to work harder than everyone else to do basic life tasks with one hand that didn't work. How much longer did it take him to dress himself with only one working hand? How much harder was it to earn a living with one hand that was useless? What would it mean for him to be able to pick up his child for the first time since that kid was a baby? Jesus could have waited until Sunday to fix his hand. But why should he? The Sabbath command was given to make people rest so they didn't work themselves to death out of envy or fear of starvation. Wouldn't it be less work to have two good hands on the Sabbath than just one? God also commanded observance of the Sabbath to give humanity space in their lives to worship him. Do you think this man ever worshipped God more fervently than he did on the Sabbath day when he was healed? By healing the man on the Sabbath then, Jesus broke the man-made rules created by the rabbis. At the same time, he allowed the man who was healed to fulfill God's intentions for the Sabbath law in the first place. The miracle Jesus performed in this passage accomplished many good things. It showed his deep compassion, displayed his unlimited power as God, and asserted his lordship over the Sabbath. But this healing also confronted the ways in which the self-righteous Pharisees used their application of God's laws to control others. 
My church background growing up was really good. I learned God's word, was reached by God's good news, and discipled in the faith pretty well as a child. But there were some pretty strong legalistic streaks in all of that goodness too. Under the guise of modesty, what we wore was strictly defined. That was especially true for the girls that I grew up with. There were also clear criteria for what kind of music was worshipful and what kind was supposedly worldly. There were colleges that my church approved of and some colleges that they tolerated and the rest were off limits. And I could go on like this. Sometimes these rules were given as genuine applications of Scripture. The problem was that these applications of Scripture were treated as if they were commandments and principles of Scripture. Too often, it felt like the leaders that I grew up under wanted to control us more than they wanted us to draw close to God. The Pharisees were not concerned with the worship of the shriveled-hand man. They wanted to use him to neutralize Jesus and control God's people. I've met Christians who do much of the same thing. They forbid anything they don't like by labeling it as a violation of some command or other from God's word. When people are controlled in this way, always worried about whether others will approve of their outfit or their actions or whatever, they have little mental or spiritual space left to focus on worshiping and pleasing God. Applying God's word is a good thing, and clarifying how to apply it can be helpful. But don't ever act as if your application of Scripture is Scripture itself. Instead, remember the goal is to live a life that glorifies God. If the Pharisees had been focused on that, they could have rejoiced with the man as his body was made whole again. Don't make the same mistake yourself. And if you found this devotional helpful and you didn't receive it in your inbox this morning, please go to dailypbj.com slash subscribe and sign up for free to receive it in your email every morning. This will cue you to spend time in the Word each day and will help you to develop a spiritual habit. I'm also looking for people to help support me financially, and if you'd like to do that, go to dailypbj.com slash support. Also, if you know someone who could benefit from this devotional, please share it with them, and I appreciate you doing that so much. May God bless you. Have a great day.